There we go. You're here. Good. Awesome. Um, guys, I'm so thankful that you're here this morning. We have another awesome, um, uh, not, not an announcement, but another event that we're going to be doing in church this morning. We're going to be commissioning our second mission team of the summer. That's awesome. Yeah, praise God. Um, we're sending a team to the Dominican Republic, to Boca Chica. Um, I think that's how you say it. Um, it's from July the 8th to the 16th. So they'll be flying out this Friday. Um, to go to the Dominican Republic to do multiple different things. Our, uh, they'll be ministering some children. They'll be uh, evangelizing and literally sharing the gospel, doing some prayer walks, uh, really bringing the hope of Christ to the, to the location there. They'll be partnering with a, um, an organization called the Hold House of Hope. Um, and what I love about this is everything we do as a church is going to be about church planning and raising of disciples. And that's where they're going to encourage a church planner that is on site there that is going to be planning church. There's going to be planning a church hopefully that multiplies and plants other churches and they'll be encouraging them, um, building momentum, um, helping in their ministry. Um, and, I, and I think probably one of the coolest things these guys will be doing will be uh, ministering to some young people, specifically some young girls. This, this city is number four in the entire world of, of, for prostitution. And 25% of the, of the sex workers there are under the age of 12. And our heart will be that we'll be able to spread some hope as a church, because what I've told y'all many times, it's not just these 10 people that are gonna be going, it's our church that's going, right? We're sending our people and we're here praying, we're here sending, we're here equipping, and these are the workers, the hands and feet that are gonna be going for us in our, uh, as represent, representatives of Connection Church, Savannah. So we wanna commission them this morning. You see in Acts chapter 13 where um, the church was praying and the, and the Lord set aside Paul and Barnabas and said, hey, send them to the work that I've called them to do. And so the church laid hands on them and then sent them out to do the work that God had called them to do. So if you feel, if you're comfortable, uh, if, you, or if you're able to get up, or if you're, if you're able to do that, I just wanna encourage you to come to the front and lay your hands on these guys. Um, if, if you're not, then just reach your hand out as a sign of faith, as a sign of, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm commissioning these people. We wanna pray over these guys and send them out um, as a part of our family to do the work that God's called them to. Make sure everybody has a, has a hand. Father God, we love you. We thank you for uh, this team of people, God. We thank you for the work that you have called them um, to do. We thank you for the work that you've called our church to do, God. We thank you for calling these 10 people out from our body to send to the Dominican Republic, God, to be your hands, to be your feet, God. The work that you have for us, God, we think we know. We think we have a schedule, God, but Lord, this, we're on your timetable, God. We're on your schedule, God. So I pray whatever you have for us to do, God, these people would be so flexible in being obedient, Father, to your voice and what you've called us to do. I pray, Father, for, for hearts that are prepared to, to receive the gospel, Lord. I pray for the work that you, the seeds that you've planted, Father, weeks and months and years in advance that are going to, is going to come to harvest as these guys are on the ground, God, ministering and loving the people of this town, God. I pray, uh, Lord, for rescue for some of these girls that they're going to be ministering to. I pray for rescue, not just physically, but spiritually, God, that you would just pull them out of spiritual bondage, pull them out of spiritual darkness, God, into spiritual light, God, that is going to be br brought only by knowing and knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus, God. I pray this morning that, that you would anoint them, God, with a greater, uh, just a greater uh, amount of your Holy Spirit on these people, God, to go and be sent. God, keep them safe. God, keep them safe and bring them back to be able to testify of your goodness, testify of what you've done, God. Lord, help us to see bigger. God, help us to see with eternal eyes. God, not only these 10 people, but also the church that you've called us to be, that we would see 
bigger than what's in front of us, God. We love you. We thank you, God. We commission these guys, God. We affirm this team, God. We, we, we lift them up to you, God. They're in your hands, and we are sending them out as faithfully as we know how as a church to send them, Lord. We just, we just give them to you now in Jesus' name, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. So it's always, I love, I love commissioning Sundays. It's awesome to see. It literally feels like you're in the book of Acts a little bit, right? It feels like you're sending, it feels like we're doing what the church is called to do, right? It feels like we're, called, we're doing what God's called us to do as a church and sending people out, commissioning them to the nations. And so we love that. And so we always want to be a church that's sending. Our heart is to be a sending church. And so if you don't know what that means, our heart is to raise up missionaries to send them out to the nations, but not only that, to raise up people in this room to send out to our communities, the places you're living in, to make disciples and to, to raise up Christians that, that, um, that are able to share the love of Christ with their neighbors. And so multiplication is what it's about. So if that's not what you're about, then we pray that you would get about that or it's just, you know, that's just might not be the right fit, you know? So our heart is that we would be um, one, one heart in that and seeing the mission of God move forward throughout the world. So that's our heart. Uh, today we're going to be in Psalms chapter 102. If you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, interesting story this week. We were supposed to be doing Psalms 22, but I was praying this week and I don't, it was literally like God was like, no, we're going to do this. I was like, yes, sir. And so we're in Psalms 102 this week, okay? And so it took me a while to kind of grasp what the Lord was wanting to do, but I'm excited for what he showed me this week and what he kind of led my heart in this week as I was studying it. And so I'm excited to share that with you. So while we're in the Psalms, that's one of the questions I get a lot. Why are we doing the Psalms? It's kind of crazy. And so as we begin to pray for this summer, we always try to have a summer series to kind of create some momentum in the summer because as you can see and as you know, summertime is kind of a lull because everybody's on vacation, everybody's doing this, everybody's all over the place, right? And so we want to do something special to kind of create some momentum. So God began to put the Psalms on our hearts, not just us. What I've learned, and God's been doing this a lot when we did Acts, when we did um, Discipleship Series, when we, all the, there's a multiple churches throughout our country and the world right now that are doing the Psalms during the summertime. It's like, what is happening? It's like, it's, I feel like we may be in, in the will of God or something. So it feels good, right? Okay, good. So a specific, kind of a specific passage um, that God kind of highlighted to us was uh, Luke 24. Uh, it really stood out as important. And if you're not careful, it can kind of slip by you if you're not, if you're not looking for it. Because some context of, of Luke 24, Jesus had just risen from the dead and he had literally appeared to the disciples out of thin air. And he says to his disciples, peace be with you. And peace probably was not with them in that moment because he was appearing out of thin air. And he said, and these guys, they thought it was a ghost standing before them. And so what did he say? He, they, he said to them, I, he told them, he said, these are my words. And I spoke to you while I was still with you. They that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And when I was thinking about that, the Psalms just kind of popped out in my mind because you don't ever think about the Psalms pointing you to Jesus, right? But what we know as a church, we talk about this all the time. As you look at your Bible, every page of every book is pointing to Christ. Okay? If you didn't know that, write that down. Every page from Genesis to Revelation is pointing you to Jesus. Every book is declaring, whispering, screaming the name of Jesus if you'll just listen. That's why it's so important for us to have a high regard for this book, to have a high regard for this book. Because anytime you open this book to read, there's an opportunity for God to change your life forever. 
And so our heart today is that we would hold this in high regard. We would, we would hold it with the, as much conviction as humanly possible. Because what happens, man? Like, listen, if you're not careful, you can read Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and all these books, minor prophets and major prophets, and you can kind of overlook Psalms as nothing more than just a little bit of extra wisdom for your life, right? It's a, good, it's a good Facebook message or a good Facebook post, or it might be good some for, for, for your kitchen area, won't forget from Hobby Lobby, right? But even the Psalms are declaring the name of Jesus. And as I was studying this, my mind was blown that there were over 70 Psalms in the Bible that we refer to as Messianic Psalms. Over 70. And one out of every six Psalms includes at least one Messianic prophecy. One out of every six, that's incredible. And there's 150 of them. One out of every six declares a messianic prophecy. Um, messianic Psalms are quoted in 11 different New Testament books. And so today, we're going to be looking at Psalms 102. And we're going to see how Jesus empowers us to endure in our faith, right? So every one of us, because of our sin, we face trials. Anybody ever faced a trial before? Anybody in one right now? Anybody faced a struggle or a temptation or a disappointment? And guess what? We're all going to ultimately face death, right? But Jesus, the one we set our hopes on, is worthy to save. He's worthy to sustain us, and he will empower us to finish well. What does he say in Matthew 24? Jesus says in Matthew 24, in Matthew 10, he, he says in both of these places, he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. He says it twice in the same book. Again, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So what does it mean to endure? Well, I, I believe God has a work that he wants to do through this church. I believe that he has a work that he wants to do through the Big C Church. But we're not looking at connection to fit into a church genre or to make a name for ourselves. We want to be the bride of Christ, and we want to be faithful to our groom. And we want to be faithful to finish well, Right? So that's our heart. That's, that's the baseline of what we're going to talk about today is finishing well, enduring in our faith. And I want to pray for us as we jump in that God would bless our, our time together. So God, we love you. We thank you just for the ability to be able to meet together as a church. God, thank you for giving us each other. Thank you for um, awakening our eyes and our hearts to what it means to be a local church. God, I pray that we would always hold that in high esteem, God, and that we would always meet together, gather together, God, that we would never neglect the gathering of the saints. God, that you would work very special, in a special way in these times together, Father. Whether people are online watching, God, whether people are here in the seats, God, I pray that you would just bring unity to this body in, very, in a very uncommon way. God, we, we thank you. We, we love you. We, we're just so honored to be able to call you our Savior, our Lord. Um, God, we're not even worthy to, to, to speak your name, God, but you've made a way through Jesus. And we thank you for that. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so... To kind of set us up really quick, I, I like to be interactive with people, right? We don't want to just, I don't want to just come here and talk to y'all, you know. So, um, so who's ever experienced something in their life that was painful in the moment, but you knew if you just kept going, it'd be worth it in the end? A few of us, right? If you just keep going, it'll be worth it in the end. My, one of the best examples I can think of is like running, no, never mind, that's bad. Football practice, running is a bad example. Football practice for me. In high school, was great. I loved football. I hated football practice. Football practice was terrible, but what kept me going was Friday night. If you've ever played football before, you know. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let's, let's move on to a, another example for some people. School, right? Who, who's, who's graduated from a high school or a college? You know, it stinks going to the library and studying and studying and studying. Like all-nighters, 
you know, all these things. But when you walk across that stage, you get a diploma. It's like it makes it all worth it, right? And, I, you know, I, one thing I don't have any experience in, but I know John 16, 21 says this. What about childbirth, right? The Bible says this, not Michael. The Bible says that childbirth, okay, don't, this is not me, it's the Bible. So I don't have any experience with childbirth. Okay, I can't speak into this. But um, the Bible says that whenever a woman goes into labor, when her time has come, the pains are forgotten after the joy of the baby comes. That may not be true. And right away, but it may be true in the end. But I think about that. I think about my wife, you know, why'd you do this to me? Don't ever touch me again. Let's have another one. Like, what? What's going on here? Just the joy of the baby being born is just, it makes you forget about all the work that had to happen. I mean, probably not. I'll see how that works. Like I said, we can, y'all can correct me later. But, um, but as we think about finishing well, I couldn't think of a better a person to kind of go to than Paul. I think about Paul in the, in the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament, you see Paul going, going through some mess, man. Like you see Paul in 2 Timothy 4 writing to Timothy in a Roman prison. He was waiting to be executed, Right? And what does he say in 2 Timothy 4? You don't have to turn there. Just write this down. It'll be on the screen. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing, who have longed for his appearing, right? So Paul was confident that he was about to see Jesus, right? And that was exciting for him. He was excited that he had finished the race. He had fought the good fight. He had done everything that he was called to do. He was confident that he had endured to the end, that he was going to finish well. But just two sentences later, he gives a report to Timothy about one of his team members, Demas. What does he say in verse 10? He says, Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica and he's, he goes on a list a couple of other guys that have lost the way, have, have gone their own way, that have, that have turned to the world, turned back away from their faith, back to the world. So here you see two men who had ministered together, who were team members in the gospel. They were Paul and Demas, discipler, disciple right? One had endured the race, looked forward to the crown of righteousness. The other man deserted his faith and was never mentioned in the Bible again. We're not sure what happened to Demas. He, he, did he repent? We don't know. But he didn't make it to the end, according to Paul. And guys, this is a sobering thought because many of us in this room are young in our faith. We're young followers of Jesus, right? If, if God wills that you'll have many years ahead of you and you expect to finish the race, you expect to stand firm, you expect to endure well. But there was a time when Demas thought he was going to do the same thing. There was a time when Demas joined Paul's team and he didn't join Paul's team with the intention that he'd later desert Paul when it got hard. He didn't join team Jesus and say, I'm going to do this for a while until I get tired. I'm going to do my own thing after that. That's not how we joined this team, right? That's not what happened. So how do we finish well? How do we endure to the end? And I think Psalms 102 is going to help us find that answer this morning. And so on the surface, as we jump into this, just to kind of give you some context, it's, it's hard to know the author of this psalm. People think it's David during the time of Absalom's rebellion, whenever Absalom was trying to usurp his father's authority in the kingdom and take over the kingdom. Some think this is a prophecy of Jesus in the garden or on the cross. But there's an interesting plot twist at the end. Anybody like plot twists in movies? Like, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. That happened to me about Wednesday this week, right? I was reading this like, what, what just happened? Like plot twist, right? One of, Psalms 102 just blew my mind. So as we dig into this, we're going to see some sections of Hebrews come into play, 
And there's a plot twist here that we're going to work on, so stick with me, okay? All right, you good? Okay, so the title of this, depending on what version of the Bible that you have, if you have, if you have the best version, the CSB, it should say, I'm just kidding, it should say affliction in light of eternity is what it should say at the top of your thing. And so that, let's jump in. Let's read the first 11 verses together, okay? It says, Lord, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in my day of trouble. Listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call. This guy's desperate. Answer me quickly. I need you, Lord. For my days vanish like smoke. Life is short, and my bones burn like a furnace. There's anxiety in his heart. My heart is suffering. It withers away like grass. He's depressed. I even forget to eat my food. So you see, this guy is consumed with grief and fear and strife to the point where he's not eating. Because of the sound of my groaning, my flesh sticks to my bones. In Job 19, that's a reference to Job 19, where Job says, my flesh is sticking to my bones. What that means is I'm wasting away. I'm skinny. I'm skinning bones. I'm, it could be a spiritual reference. It could be a physical reference. We don't know. He said, I'm like an eagle owl. I'm like, what is an eagle owl? Like a little owl among the ruins. He's lost. I stay awake. I'm like a solitary bird on a roof. I'm alone. My enemies taunt me all day long. They ridicule and use my name as a curse. I eat ashes like bread. That means he's mourning and mingle my drinks with tears. He's weeping because of your indignation and wrath, for you have picked me up and thrown me aside. My days are like a lengthening shadow, and I wither away like grass. So as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm concluding that this psalm isn't going to be read at too many weddings, right? It's like, listen, we see early on this dude is struggling. This guy's having a hard time. He feels like his days are vanishing. He's running on empty. Has anybody ever been there? Right? Has anybody there now? Right? You might be in this moment now. You know, he, he's struggling. But the psalmist is crying out to the Lord and wondering if the Lord is listening. He says, and we're seeing, we're, 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 and, I, and I'm reminded that we're such emotional creatures. Are we not? Like who knows someone driven by their emotions? Don't answer that, husbands. I'm just kidding. But we're all driven by our emotions, right? We're driven by our emotional side of things. We're, we're, we're emotional creatures. And I think God gave us that as a grace. And you look at verses 3 through 11. Guys, these verses are full of emotional illustrations to try to describe how he feels. And how many times have you found yourself saying, oh, I'm like an owl among the ruins? Not many times, probably, but maybe these aren't the analogies that you'd use, but you can probably relate to the feelings of isolation and loneliness and lostness. And then right in the middle of this lament, there seems to be a change in verse 12. Revelation has come, and he's able to see and focus on bigger eternal things. This is where it gets good. Verse 12, it says this, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. So I want to stop right there. Life is hard. I'm dying. I'm wasting away. I can't see straight. I'm, my, my, I, people have persecuted me. They're coming after me. I, my life is just nothing. I wither away like grass, but you, oh Lord, right? And so you see this, these first three words are enough no matter what comes against us in life. But you, oh Lord, I'm struggling in my, but you, oh Lord, I have a sickness, but you, oh Lord, my family's fine, but you, oh Lord, right? 
But you, O Lord, is what we're looking at here. This is where the psalmist is pointing us. But you, O Lord, no matter what the circumstance, the Christian always has hope and meaning because we know God and God knows us who is the author and the dispenser of hope and meaning. Right? That's the heart. So whatever the situation, the Christian can always say, but... But you, O oh Lord, right? Romans 8, 31. What does it say? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, what can be against us? If God is for us, there's nothing in this world that can come against you. Even Jesus himself says, don't fear the man who can kill the body. Fear the, fear the Lord who can kill the soul. Don't, we're, not, we're not worried about this fleshly world. We're worried, we're, we're, we have fear of God and God alone. But you, O oh Lord. All these things that are happening to me, it doesn't matter, but you, oh Lord, you're in control. You have sustained me. You have saved me. Let's keep reading. But you, oh Lord, are enthroned forever. That means you never change. Your fame endures through all generations. You're timeless. You will rise up and have compassion on Zion, that's Jerusalem, and for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come, for your servants take delight in its stones and favor its dusts. What is happening? Like, the second reason for this man's hope is he knew that God is on the throne. How many people have a hard time seeing that sometimes? Because they're so involved in our problems and our life. All we see is horizontal and not vertical sometimes, right? He says, you're on the throne. And now I know, like, God is on the And I know that can be a bit cliche sometimes, right? How many of us have said, you know, hey, you might be going through it right now, but hey, God's on the throne, sister. God's on the throne, brother. He, he's got you, Right? Anybody ever said that before? I'm sorry you've lost everything. I'm sorry you may be dying. I'm sorry you may have lost a husband or wife, but God's on the throne. He still got you, right? Listen, that can sound kind of cliche sometimes, man, but God being on the throne means nothing if we don't know that he cares about us, but he does. He does care about us. It means he's in control of everything. It means that trials and tribulations that come my way or your way don't catch him off guard. And they have been allowed and vetted by the father for the children he loves. He loves you and he's vetted those things before they come your way. He knows that you can handle the things that he brings your way because you're living in Christ. Living outside of Christ, not so much. What else does he say? Your fame endures to all generations. We read throughout Scripture, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. To yesterday, today, and forever. And men in every generation, women in every generation, through countless trying situations throughout Scripture, have tested this rock and have testified of his goodness. And the same is true for you and me. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. And then the nations will fear the name of the Lord. They will honor, they will revere, they will worship the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth, your glory. For the Lord will be rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. This will be for a later generation and a people who have not yet been created will praise his name. Somebody circle verse 18 or underline it or put a check mark there because we're going to come back to that in a second. He looked down from his holy heights. The Lord gazed out from the heavens to earth to hear a prisoner's groaning, to set free those condemned to die so that they might declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when peoples and kingdoms are assembled to serve the Lord. Now think about verse 12, verse 20. They, they hear to hear a prisoner's groaning to set those who 
that set those condemned to die, set free those condemned to die. Some of the translation says to set free the sons of death. And if you think about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, what does it say? It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. But what's the next line say? But God, who's rich in mercy, right? We see, but you, O Lord, again, even in this moment. So here we see that the man is able to take courage. Well, how is he able to take courage? Because he remembers that the Lord will appear. He remembers that the nations will bow down. He remembers that the nations will fear the Lord. And the kings of the earth, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He remembers these things. He's gaining eternal perspective. So can I bring something before you this morning that maybe the reason why we're so downtrodden like verses 1 through 11 is because we're not seeing with eternal eyes. Maybe it's because we're looking at our problems as God and not God as God, right? Maybe we're looking at our issues as God and not the, the, the things that he said he would sustain us in. Maybe that's the problem in that. They, were, they, they have testified of God's goodness. But look back at verse 18. This will be written for a later generation, and the people who have not yet been created will praise the Lord. Guys, this is written for the church age. You and me. This is written for us. In that day, the church age, the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. And someone is reminding this main character. And this is where it started getting weird for me this week. I was like, Lord, what are you doing in this psalm? Because it doesn't sound like I thought it sounded, right? So I started digging deeper. I said, someone, someone is reminding this main character in this psalm of what's to come. And what it does is gives us a clue to who this main character is. And so let's finish out this psalm, and then we're going to flip over to Hebrews chapter 1. So get ready for that, you Bible drill champions. Here we go. Verse 23. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. Long ago you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. But, but, but you are the same, and your years will never end. Your servants' children will dwell securely, and their offspring will be established before you. And so this part of the psalm is, is pretty straightforward. The psalmist is crying out to God not to let him die, and he expresses his confidence in the eternal, unchanging nature of God, right? Right? Well, no, that, not actually, that's actually not right. I was, I was thinking that was right, too. That was a trap, right? As I was reading this, I was like, yeah, 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 this is right. No, it's not right. I was like, what? So I'm reading this, and I go to Hebrews chapter 1, and here, here's where this psalm kind of takes a little bit of a twist and gets a little more interest, interesting because the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that this isn't the psalmist just writing down his thoughts about God. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, th th this is how... It's how we're, we've been looking at it for a while, but this is this far from the, the full story. Because remember, I told you about a plot twist, and this is why we need to study the Bible, right? There's a difference in me reading a chapter a week of the Bible or a chapter a day, and there's a difference in me doing that and spending time with God in the Bible for him to change me, right? Studying the Word is important. Psalms 102 is recording a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. When I read that, I was like, hold on a second now. And so... Let's look a little deeper because a statement like that requires proof, right? Yeah, you can't just say that, Michael, from stage and just walk away. You've got to prove that. So let's look over at Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, we're going to read the first 14 verses together, and then we're going to unpack it some. And this is what it says. It'll be on the screen if you don't want to turn there. 
It says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Did you hear that? Like for you guys that don't know, Jesus made the universe. Here's the first time I want to blow your mind. Jesus made the universe. God created the universe through Jesus. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. That is very precise language, right? He is the exact expression of God's nature. That's a very specific explanation of who Jesus is. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, the right hand of the majesty on high, so he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. The reason why he wrote this is because, one, to give perseverance to the, the suffering Jews who were going through persecution, but also the Jews had a tendency to worship angels because angels came with messages, and angels came with all these things, and the, the, the Jews were have the, the Jewish Christians were having a hard time not seeing the angels as deities, right? And so that's why he's, he's clarifying that Jesus is better. Jesus is far above the angels, right? So verse five, for to which of the angels did he ever say? Because he's, he's trying to prove his point here. To which of the angels did, did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And he, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the sun, listen to how God refers to the sun right here. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And verse 10 through 12 is a direct quotation from Psalms 102. You see this? For anybody that didn't, didn't prepare their thinking caps today, I'm really sorry. You got to pay attention here. This is deep stuff. We try to do this once a year. So, you know, okay. And verse 10, in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like clothing and will roll them up like a cloak and they will be changed like clothing, but you are the same and your years Will never end. Now, to which of the angels did he ever say, Sit in my right hand until y'all make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So, what's interesting here as I read this is, is the, about the book of Hebrews. Most scholars believe that it was written to Jewish Christians, like I mentioned earlier, who were living in Jerusalem. Its purpose was to ex exhort the Christians to persevere in the face of persecution, but also remind them of who Jesus is. And so how did the author of Hebrews do that? He pointed them to Jesus, right? He pointed them to the Savior. The writer of Hebrews was writing Hebrews to the fellow Jews, and his goal was to show them the supremacy of Christ, show them the, the eternal, to eternality of Jesus. He is the better Moses. He's the better David. He's the better prophet. And he has brought in a new and better covenant based on better promises, right? He did all this in, in Hebrews. And so to prove this, the writer gives a series of quotes. Mostly, I think 95% of them are from Psalms where God the Father is speaking of or speaking to the Son. In, that, in those 14 verses that we just read, God was speaking either about him or to him, right? Hang on. Verse 8 is an interesting case where God the Father calls Jesus his son, God. He says, 
But to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of justice. Then in verses 10 and 12, we see the writer of Hebrews quote from Psalms 102 and says that it's God the Father speaking to the Son. So this is the key that's going to unlock Psalms 102 for us, okay? That's what you have to find in Scripture as you're reading. Look at Psalms 102 through the eyes of Hebrews 1, and what we're going to see, it turns out that the man in Psalms 102 that is struggling and crying out to God isn't just a man, it's Jesus, it could be Jesus in the garden where he's saying, my, my enemies are against me. Um, the, my life is over. I, I'm, I'm alone. I'm isolated. I'm hurting. It could be Jesus on the cross. It could, we don't know which aspect of Jesus' life this is exactly is referring to. But what we do know is he is the one feeling this extreme loneliness, wondering if God is listening, facing death, comforting. He's, he's taking comfort and hope of God that, and, and the, the thoughts of eternity and the things to come. And that is why. Jesus can relate to us and why we can relate to him because he went through everything and more that we will ever face. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Praise God for that, right? Look at verse 23 and 24 again of Psalms 102. It says, he has broken my strength in mid-course, and he has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. And so what we're listening to here is a prophecy of Jesus pointing to a prayer of our Lord Jesus, right? Pointing to a prayer of Jesus. We don't know exactly, like I said, if, if it's the garden or if it's the cross or some other time, but he was the one whose strength was broken. Now listen again to the Father Knowing this about Hebrews, listen again to the father encourage the son in verse 25 to 28. Long ago, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. God's reminding Jesus of eternity past. Remember eternity. Remember the bigger picture, the eternal perspective. Remember that you created the earth through my power. They, they will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Your servants' children will endure forever, and their offspring will be established before you. And so as I read verse 28, knowing that this is Jesus, knowing that God is speaking to Jesus, he's looking at verse 28, and then he's pointing them to Hebrews 12, where he says, for the joy set before him, which was knowing that God's glory was going to be extended to the end of the earth because believers were going to be God's treasure, right? And you see that your, your servant's children will dwell securely, and their offspring will be established before you. This is talking about the church, you and me. And I love this because you'll see here the Father is turning Jesus' focus onto the things of eternity, both the past and eternity future. And it took Jesus right back to the beginning. In the beginning, you laid the foundation of the earth. Remember this. And the heavens and the works of your hand. And you're like, wait a minute, God created the heavens and the earth. It says that in Genesis 1, Michael. We, we know this, but look what Colossians 1 says. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Who is he? Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created, what? By him. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. The Greek for all things is all things. All things. Everything. All things have been created through him. And this is important. And for him. For his glory. 
He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Praise God that everything is held together by our Lord Jesus Christ. God also took Jesus to the very end of the age, saying, they will perish, but you will remain. He reminded Jesus that everything will come to an end, but he will remain forever. He reminded Jesus of the results of his labor, that the people are the results, that the church would be God's glory, his masterpiece. And it's hard for me and you to see sometimes, guys, but listen, as the church, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ in this room, this same thing is true for you as heirs of Christ. If we're not careful, we can get so focused on ourselves that we can easily forget that our inheritance is in heaven, right? We get so focused on our problems that we forget if you're in Christ, your inheritance is kept in heaven for you, what 1 Peter says, right? It's kept in heaven for you. The word helps us refocus, though, in 2 Corinthians. Write this down, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. It says, therefore, we don't what? We don't what? We don't give up. We don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, who feels that way, right? I feel like my outer person is being destroyed all the time. I feel like I'm getting old. I feel like I'm tired all the time. I feel like I can't do it. You're like, be quiet. Listen, I'm turning 40 tomorrow, okay? So, ah, hallelujah, right? Verse 17, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And as I read 17, that the thing that's highlighted or bold up there really stood out to me because it was kind of an undignified type wording. I was like, Paul, did you say absolutely here for real? Absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So what, what produces that for us? Well, according to the scripture, our momentary light affliction. So even the hardest thing in your life that you've ever had to experience, according to God, this is a momentary light affliction. So let me ask you this. What we talked about before, have you been through something that when in the middle of it is hard as blank, right? It's hard, but it's worth it in the end, right? This is what Paul is saying. We may have to endure this momentary light affliction before a while, but it is absolutely worth it because we, at the other end, as a follower of Christ, is absolutely incomparable, incomparable eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, so we do not focus on what is seen. Who focuses on what's seen? We all do. Let's stop focusing on what is seen. Let's focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is what? Temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's focus on eternal things instead of in, <laughs> temporary things. So the question as we get ready to close here is how do we finish strong? How do we finish strong like Jesus did? How do we finish well? Well, this week's message, I'll be really honest with you, man, had a personal weight on me. I know everybody jokes about, oh, you're turning 40, huh? But like, I, it's, it was heavy for me for a couple of days, not necessarily because I care about turning 40 because I don't. But what it does is it, it reminds me that my life is short. I remember five minutes ago, I was 20. I was like, where did time go, man? What's, what's going on here? And just slow down. But I actually want to speed it up. I want to see Jesus. But... It made me think about my legacy. I have a bracelet that I, I wear all the time that says, leave a legacy. What legacy am I going to leave in this life? What legacy am I going to leave it for my family, for my church, for my friends, for, my, for people that I do life with? What legacy am I going to leave? And in the middle of this monotony of life, in the middle of the trials and temptations and struggles, how do we finish well? How do we endure in our faith? And I think about three things. I know it's Baptist. I know it's three points, but whatever, Okay. Just live with it. 
I think if you make a daily commitment to these three things, listen, I know, I understand there's probably more, but as I was praying through this, these three things, God kept putting them on my heart. These three things, if we, if we continuously commit to these daily things, I feel like these three things will help us endure well and finish well. The first one is to live with eternity in view. Live with eternity in view. Does anybody struggle with that? Yeah. We, we live from the day to day to day to tomorrow, next week. I can't wait to go on vacation next month. I can't wait to go on this next week. I can't wait till I get paid on Friday. Right? We look for the next day, right? Rick Warren says, uh, in God's eyes, the greatest heroes of faith are not those who achieve prosperity, success, and the power in this life, but those who treat life as a temporary assignment and serve faithfully and expecting their promised reward in eternity. That's the heart, right? That's what it says. What does he say? He says that they, they serve faithfully, expecting their promised reward in eternity. But I'm sure most of you know this, but you may not live like this. You live, hear this, you live in a culture that is doing its best to get you to live for the next 70 to 80 years. You live, in a, you live amongst a people that is trying to get you to live for the temporary. You live in a culture that tries to get you to save for retirement because that's the most important thing. You, you live in a culture that makes you, you're going to have kids by the time you're 30. You're going to have a house by the time you're this age. You're going to have a, grandkids and all these things. Check, 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 check. By the time I get to the end of my life, this is what means I'm successful, right? These 70 to 80 years is what the culture around you is trying to get you to live for, to give your life for the temporary. And most, you live 100 years on this earth, but guess what? You'll spend forever in eternity, whether that's heaven or hell. You are created for eternity. Live with an eternal mindset. Many things, let me tell you, many things lost in this life can be restored, but time misused can never be restored. It's gone forever. And as stewards of the gospel, guys, you, me, us, as Christians, we have no greater calling than to prepare the next generation for eternity with grace and truth. My greatest goal as a pastor is to make you eternally sure to know you're a Christian, to know you're in Christ, to, to make disciples, to evangelize. The reason why churches struggle in our day and age to be effective in the culture it exists in is not because it's full of bad people, but it's full of people living short-sighted and temporal lives. That's the reason why you see the church in our country ineffective. They're not missional. They're not thinking eternally. And Satan loves this type of church. Satan loves this type of church, and you rarely see any, any spiritual warfare in that type of church because they're doing it to themselves, right? You find me a church that's missional, you'll see a lot of collisions with the enemy. Don't you want to be an effective church? Yes. Don't you want to be a healthy, united church, a disciple-making, missionary-sending church? Yes, you do. I know you do because I do. We all do. We have to live with an eternal mindset, eternity as our driving force, living for the next 80 trillion years, not the next 80 years. What is it like to live your life for the next 80 trillion years? Does retirement really matter after that, at that point? Right? Does anything really matter, like what you're doing here? Like, it does, but, but listen, what are you doing in that, in that, in that realm of things? He remembered, what did, what did Jesus get? Where did he get past the, how did he get past the persecution and loneliness and isolation? He remembered, but you, oh Lord, are enthroned forever. That's how we got past it. So a good question for you to ask yourself is, am I investing my time in things that really matter in eternity? 
Ask that to yourself tomorrow morning when you wake up. It's one thing to talk about it in a sermon, but tomorrow morning, write this down. Ask your husband, ask your wife, ask your friend, ask your kids. Am I investing my time in things that matter in light of eternity? My, the job I'm working, the, the, the place that I'm living, all these things, like a lot of these things we feel like that are immovable in our lives, but guess what? You have control of those things, right? If the Lord called you to quit doing something, would you hear him and would you obey? Am I investing my time in things that really matter? Psalms 90, verse 12, David says, Teach us, Lord, to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Who wants wisdom? The way to wisdom is numbering your days, realizing you're living a temporary life. Teach us to number our days. The second thing, so we want to daily have, live with eternal eternity in view. The second thing is we want to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. What does that even mean? Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So if you truly want to worship God, offer your life, your body, your, 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 your money, your time, your treasure, your talent, all these things to God as a living sacrifice, but do it not in the way that we're used to by, by saying here here, 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 back and forth with God. Give it all to him and don't take it back. Well, how do we do that? Well, in verse 2, it says, don't be conformed, or excuse me, verse 1, don't be conformed to the age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. Don't be Conform to this culture. The way you dress, the home you buy, the car you have, the job you have. Are you doing that to please the culture and the people in it? Or are you doing that to honor God and obey his word? Think about these things. To be a living sacrifice is to be fully at God's disposal. And the enemy has tricked the American church, I feel like for a very long time, to think that we are, that because we go to church or attend a Bible study, or we pray one or two times a week, that we are fully at God's disposal. Well, that may not be true. To be available, to be willing to obey God in whatever he asks or command. I ask of this all the time whenever we're doing our mission series. If God were to call you to a mission field, to live there forever, if God were to call your children to go and be there forever, would you balk at that? Would you be in a place where you could hear him? Or have you insulated your life so well that you may be a good Christian person because you do all the things for Christ, but you're not obeying Christ's voice? Does that make sense? Our heart is that we will be a church that hears from God. We will be Christians that hear from God and then obey what God says, even when it makes no worldly sense. I ask myself that question all the time. What if Chloe were to come to me and say, Mike, Dad, she better not come and say Michael, Dad, <laughs> Dad, if I feel like God's calling me to the nations. Like, I don't know what I, I mean. I'd probably lose it a little bit because there'd be flesh, spirit, like, no, like, no, go, baby. You're, you're called. Go. Go, I, I'll go with you because I'm not leaving. I'm not going to do live life without you, right? I'm going with you. So, like, listen, like that's the heart behind. We want to hold everything in our life loosely, whether it's our family, our time, our money, our talents, loosely, so that we can be used by God. What did Galatians two say? What did Paul say in Galatians two? He says, "I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me." Okay, we could probably preach a sermon series on this. Like, listen, I, I've been crucified. With, if I'm a Christian, I'm saying I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. This, this is rhetorical. This is for you to evaluate your heart. How many of us can say that about being a Christian? I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That means my desires and my goals are submitted to him. So if he wants something that I don't want, I submit to him.
That means if I'm reading scripture and he calls me to do something, or he, I see something in my life that he convicts me of, that means I change. Because I'm no longer living, it's him living in me. And that's a process. It's called sanctification. It's not like perfect. If you're not, if you're not perfect, that's okay because none of us in this room are. But how many of us can live in that place where I no longer live, Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live what? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a great memory verse. So the question is, are you living? Are you still living for yourself? Is the only thing that you've done for God in obedience is to raise your hand to get saved and be baptized? What's happened after you've gotten out of the pool? What's happened after you've said yes to Jesus? Whenever we say, hey, will you go anywhere he says go and do anything he says do? Hey, did you say yes out of habit because that's what we say in our culture? Yes, we don't mean it, right? That's the, I know this is tough, but it's supposed to be tough, right? It's God speaking to his children. Okay. So are you holding back anything from the lordship of Jesus in your life? Do evaluation like right now. Is there something in your heart, in your life, a family member that you're trying to control, hold on to, money, a job, security, comfort, a way of life, a status, anything? Is there something that you're holding on to right now that you're holding back from the lordship of Jesus Christ that God has been pointing to and says, hey, Michael, I need this. That thing in the back of your closet that you're trying to like keep from me, I see it. I want it. Give it to me. Surrender. Submit. Give it to me now. And how many of us have packed more things in front of it to hide it and get it away from God? God, you can have all this, but just not this. You can't have this. This is, my, this is for my control, right? Who in here has things like that? If so, then let me tell you something. Sadly, Jesus is not your Lord in that moment. He's not the Lord of your life if you have things like that. Everywhere or anything that Jesus doesn't have access to in your life or in your heart, it's an idol that needs to be torn down. So what idols do you have this morning? What idols do you have that are holding you back from being a living sacrifice and living with eternity in view? Because guess what? You worshiping an idol, no matter what it may be, keeps you from having an eternal perspective. You may have it on a Sunday or a Bible study or again prayer when you have your Christian mask on, but when you're living your life, it's hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be impossible. The gospel, the goal of the gospel is not to affirm you, it's not to celebrate you, it's not to accept you, but it's to rescue you, to transform you, and to redirect you. When you think about that, the American gospel says, oh, you're such a good person. Like, you're, you're bless your little heart. You know, you're doing a great job. You took a next step, or, you know, you're in the, you're in the family. You know, that, that's, that's all true, but that's not the point. The point is that God would transform your heart. Romans 8, 28 and 29 all those things that happen that you say are for me, not God's for me, not against me. All those things are happening so that you can be conformed into the image of God's son, Jesus. That's why he came. It's the will of God for every believer to be a living sacrifice. Hard stop. Third thing, last thing. The man will come back. You can come now if you don't. That's fine too. We can just wing this thing. Um, the third and final thing is to fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> It's very simple, right? Live with eternity in view, be a living sacrifice, and fix your eyes on Jesus. And fixing our eyes on Jesus means a turning our attention to the instructions, the positions, and the admonitions of Jesus in his word. You, are you following me? You, you have to know what Jesus said about who he is, his nature, what he's done to the gospel, and what his plans are for the future. 
If you don't know that, it's, it's bad. this means you have to read the word, not to, not to just check off a thing on a reading plan, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, like Paul said in Romans 12. You have to read the word and grow in the knowledge of Jesus because 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it's very interesting how he starts this. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, how is grace and peace multiplied to you? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Through knowledge of him is how grace and peace is multiplied. Let's keep reading. Verse 2, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. We love quoting that verse in the church, don't we? His divine power has given us everything for life and godliness. But how do we get that divine power through for life and godliness? Through the what? The knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him who called you by his own glory and grace. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus because it's always the work of the Spirit that we're looking to Christ. But the work of Satan is just the opposite of this since he's constantly trying to make us look over here or look over here. Fix your eyes on Christ. Look at this child. Look at this money. Look at this family. Eyes on Jesus. Look at this opportunity. Look at, look at this eyes on Jesus. Look ahead. Fix your eyes on Jesus. This is what God said to Jesus in this psalm. Fix your eyes on me. You may be lonely. You may be about to be crucified. You may be beat beyond recognition. Fix your eyes on me, the author, the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on the bigger plan, the eternal view. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What that means is you're trusting him because the word translated to fix has the idea of focusing our gaze on something with confidence. Another idea that's kind of embedded in this fixing our eyes on Jesus is that we look without distractions. I begin to look without these distractions of things trying to come against me. The prefix of this Greek verb translated to fix, it actually carries the meaning to look away from everyone and everything else onto Jesus. You see this? Fixing our eyes on Jesus means looking at only him. And that's what it means to be God, right? He, he doesn't share his seat right? That's what it means to be God. And as Jesus hung on the cross, as nails were driven into his hand and to his feet, and as he was sped on, and as he was bleeding and beaten and cursed, and as his crown of thorns were jabbing into his brow, what did he see in Psalms 102 prophesied? What did he see that kept him there? Hebrews 12 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its, scorned its shame, and sat at the right hand of God the Father. What he saw is the finished work of the cross, the end goals of his, of his sacrifice that was kept in heaven for us, for him, the glory of God being revealed to the world. And this is the only way for us to finish well, man. The only way, live with eternity in view, be a living sacrifice, fix our eyes on Jesus and finish the work that he's done through the gospel and the promised inheritance of eternal life with him that was won for us by Jesus. This morning, I don't know where you're at in your faith. I know where some of you are at because I know you, but I don't know all of you. But I just want to give you a hint of what this looks like is, guys, we don't come to Jesus for a better life. We come to Jesus because he is life. Before Christ, you're dead in your sins. That means if you're living a lie right now this morning, if you're, if you're, if you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian just because I go to a church, or hey, I'm a Christian because I went to Bible school when I was a kid or read the Bible, or I'm a Christian because I'm an American and Americans are Christians, Right? I just want to tell you that you may be deceived. Jesus said that you would know them by their fruit. This morning, if there's no fruit in your life that's pointing to say, hey, you're a Christian, 
There's a reason to, to get this right, to pray through this a little bit. We have a prayer team that wants to pray with you. Jesus says in the Bible, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father, what? Except by me. And I don't care how much good you do, no amount of praying, no amount of reading or being a good person will get you to God, only Jesus. This morning, just like, just like the psalmist wrote, just like Jesus was writing the conversation between God and Jesus in this book, what we see is the way that Jesus was able to endure the pain of the cross was for to remember eternal things and take his eyes off of temporary things. And so this morning, I don't know if you're a Christian. I don't know if you're not. If you are a Christian this morning, you've been living for the temporary. If you've been struggling seeing eternity, if you've been struggling being a living sacrifice or fixing your eyes on Jesus, I pray that we would flood this altar with prayer. I pray that we would come here and, and lay out our, our laments before God. If we're struggling, whatever it may be, that you would just come and pray, that you would be obedient to the Lord. If you're not saved in this place this morning, then God may be convicting your heart. Just hear this right. If, if you're feeling a little uneasy, it's not me necessarily. It must, it, there, there's something called the Holy Spirit that may be convicting you and drawing you to Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want to give you the opportunity. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'm not saying, hey, you know, I, I, I know Jesus is God. I've, I've been here before. But if you've never put your faith in Jesus where your life has changed because of that faith in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus because the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that we'd be saved. And what that means is Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins because our sin deserves punishment. In the Old Testament, you see where sin, where there's sin that, there was blood that was required of an animal, animal sacrifice. Jesus came to be that perfect sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice where he came and died for us. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross that he did not deserve. He rose again to defeat death and shame and all those things so that if we could live in him in faith that we would live with him forever. A lot, a lot of people in this world say this is a fairy tale. I'm here to tell you I have personal experience that it's not. If this morning, if you know that the day is the day of your salvation, you know, hey, God is calling me to repent of my sin and come to Christ, then I just want to give you an opportunity. I want you to do something very bold and just say, hey, Michael, that's me. I need, I need, I, I need Jesus this morning, and I need prayer. And one of our prayer team members would love to pray with you and celebrate with you. Because let me tell you, if that's you this morning, that's a reason to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate that with you. Okay, so don't let the enemy lie to you. So that's somebody this morning say, hey, Michael, this morning is the morning where I come to Christ. I'm, I'm done running. I'm done playing. Is that anybody in here this morning? Just be bold. Awesome. So if everybody's saved this morning, let's get our hearts right before the Lord. Let's come repent, come praise God for what he's done. Let's just, let's just have a moment of, of worship as we get ready to leave. This next song we're going to sing is Come Thou Fount. And I, I thought this was, there's no better song to, to sing together than this song after this sermon we just preached about what God has done and what God is going to do. And so as I pray, you come. God, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we, we praise you for all that you have done and all that you are. God, I pray that you would just gain glory from everything that's done in this body. God, we thank you for um, your word and how it has challenged us, God, for the way that it has, has revealed to us, God, the the, just, the, not just your glory, God, but your struggle, God. We know that uh, Hebrews tells us that, that you, uh, you, you've, you've gone through everything that we will ever face and more. 
And God, I pray for the person this morning that is, that is in you, that is a Christian, God, that has been living on the sidelines, God, that has been struggling to get involved with, with, with their faith, struggling to live a life of obedience, Father. I pray that you would just draw them in right now in Jesus' name. God, that you would point to the things that they're holding back in worshiping, God, the idols in their life, and they would repent of that in Jesus' name, God. We would rejoice as a church for that, Father. I pray for the person in this room that does not know you, Father, the person that is not saved. I pray that you would put such an urgency on their heart that they cannot leave here without getting that right, to, without turning their life over to you, Jesus. God, save that person this morning in Jesus' name. We love you. We thank you. We give you all the honor and praise and glory, God, because you're the only one in the entire universe that deserves it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.